0: And so I'm not talking about um, the normal things tonight because I know all of us we we've confessed together so many different times that we're not perfect, and even though we're trying to worship God in spirit and in truth, sometimes even though we name the name of Christ, sometimes we make mistakes. I'm not talking about that so much, but I am talking about the person that seems to talk about the Lord all the time or use the name of the Lord, but there seems to be no matching up of those two ideas. Now, what do we know about the name of the Lord? Well, I want you to think about the context here because in verse 7 we're told God says don't take my name in vain but the first two commandments are linked to the third commandment. I haven't thought too much about this until I started to think about the word vain because commandment number one God says don't have any other what? God's small g before me and then commandment number two he said don't make an idol to worship it. And you know what's interesting is that when you look at the Old Testament and there's even a place in the New Testament, idols are called vain. Idols are empty. And God is saying, in essence, I am the direct opposite of the gods of the peoples of Canaan and all the false gods. They are vain. Idols are vain. As a matter of fact, I'll give you two scriptures tonight. Psalm 31, 6 and 7, and don't turn there for the sake of time. The psalmist says, I hate those who regard vain idols, but, contrast, I trust in the Lord. In Jonah chapter 2, when Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, he finally decided to pray. (laughs) And it says, while he was fainting away, Jonah 2, 7 through 9, he says, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to thee in thy holy temple. And this is his prayer. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to thee with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. So I think what we need to understand is that God is saying Commandment 3 connects to Commandment number 1 and 2. Idols are vain. They are empty. They are worthless because they are lifeless. Remember we looked at several scriptures last week where You know, the craftsman goes out, he cuts down the tree. You know, he tries to balance the tree so it won't totter. And then he makes his little idol and he bows down to it. And how stupid and silly that is, because that idol was made with his hands. It has ears, but it cannot hear. It has eyes, but it cannot see. It has a mouth, but it cannot talk. You guys know what I'm getting at. We we dealt with that last week. So, God says, I am the direct opposite of vain, lifeless idols. I am alive, I am the living God, I am spirit, and I am the one who created you. You did not create me. I am anything but lifeless. I am anything but vain. The whole earth is full, opposite of empty, of my glory. As a matter of fact, when you look at the word glory, Doxa in the Bible, it means weighty. God is full of glory. He is the antithesis, the opposite of vanity and vain idols. Does that make sense to you? And so it's very important that we understand that commandment number three is in this order, I think specifically because God is saying, my name is holy. You want to go and worship Baal? You want to make your little golden calf and bow down before it empty. You want to go and bow down before Molech? And sacrifice your babies to him empty, fruitless, worthless. But you come to me, you come to me for life. Full weight of glory. Mary in her magnificat, magnificat in Luke 149 says, For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So we're dealing tonight with the sanctity of God's name. Yahweh. His name is sacred, his name is holy. And uh, commentators will tell you that within not taking his name in vain, there are three basic ideas here. One, we are not to trivialize God's name by regarding it as insignificant. Two, we are not to use his name to advance evil by attempting to coax God to violate his character or purposes. Or, we are not to swear in the name of God, in essence use God's name to somehow justify what we're doing. So often, you know, in the history of our country, people would take an oath in the name of God. They would lay their hand on a Bible. They would say, uh, I will tell the the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Or they might say, in the name of God, uh, or I swear to God. People say phrases like this all the time. But God is saying, when you take my name, don't take my name in a way that is... Uh, That you're not thinking about In a way that would dishonor my name So that's number two And number three We are not to use his name in worship thoughtlessly Sometimes I can't help but laugh at preachers Who are preaching and then they say Oh, praise the Lord, thank you And it's it's almost like a filler And you wonder at some point Have they lost the meaning of what they're saying Now of course we all could say that we've done that So we don't want to be too judgmental But I think the point is that we have to be careful when it comes to the name of God. God is holy, and we are to reverence His name. Now, there are three things that came to mind for me in looking at the name of God in the Old Testament. God attached His name, number one, to the temple. He attached His name, number one, to the temple. So, if you'd uh, you'd like to turn with me, you can. Let's turn to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. Um, chapter seven, Second Samuel seven. So we've got. Um, if you can find First and Second Samuel, you're going to find that after the book of Judges, pass up Judges, and you want Second Samuel chapter seven. I tried to put these in order so you could just keep flipping here. But Second Samuel seven. <clears throat> Notice verse twelve. Speaking to David, when your days, 2 Samuel 7:12, are completed and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you, who will come forth from you. I will establish his kingdom, speaking of Solomon. He shall, 2 Samuel 7:13, he shall build a house, would you note it, for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, first and second Samuel, then you've got first and second Kings, so you want 1st Kings chapter 8, 1 Kings 8 chapter 8 verse 18. 1 Kings 8:18 8, says this. And if you don't want to try to keep the pace, that's okay. Just listen to the scriptures. 1st Kings 8:18 8, says, "But the Lord said to my father David, because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well, that it was in your heart." Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son who shall be born to you, namely Solomon. It's 1 Kings eight nineteen. He shall build the house for my name. There it is again. Now the Lord has fulfilled his word, which he spoke. For I have risen in place of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel. So the Lord promised and have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And then finally, if next uh, section over. 1st and 2nd Samuel 1st and 2nd Kings 1st and 2nd Chronicles 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 2nd Chronicles 7 Solomon is uh, getting ready to dedicate the house of the Lord 2nd Chronicles 7 and for the sake of time we'll we'll look at verse 12 2nd Chronicles 7:12 Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Second Chronicles 7.13 If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are what called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven... Will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes shall be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Would you skip down to verse twenty uh, one? And for this house, which was exalted, everyone who passes by it, now the Lord saying, if they abandon him, if they don't keep his commandments, this is what will happen, will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this thus to this land and to this house, to the temple? And they will say, because they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they adopted what? Other gods and worshiped them and served them. God said this, Place And this land is for my name. But if my people start to go after false gods, then I will bring calamity. And if people ask what happened, then people are going to say this, well, these people didn't keep commandment number one and commandment number two, and God would not allow his name to remain. Israel would become a byword, if you will. Now, God would keep that covenant forever, but Israel would indeed pr- pay the price. Jerusalem has been called uh, the place where God's name would be. I could give you a bunch of scriptures for that, but God put His name in Jerusalem, in the temple, and then His name was attached to Israel. My people, Second Chronicles 7.14, who are called by My name, if they'll do this, if they'll humble themselves and pray. So He had God's name attached to Jerusalem, which is the city of God, God's name attached to the temple, which is the temple of God, and God's name attached to Israel. Jacob was renamed Israel, and his name, most scholars believe, means what? Governed by God. And so you see how significant it is that Yahweh would place his name in these certain contexts. As a matter of fact, when Moses, early in this book, went to Pharaoh, God says, You shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. They're the ones who are called by my name. So you are to let them go and serve me on the holy mountain. Of course, uh, Pharaoh would not let the people go. And that was obviously a bad career move for Pharaoh. So let me ask you a question. As we think about the name of Jesus, let's ask the, the next question. Okay, we're sitting here tonight And we know that the Ten Commandments, none of us have kept them. We know that the law has become our schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. So we're not here tonight to think about all the times that we may have been irreverent to the name of God. We certainly need to be reminded of that, but that's not why we're here tonight. We're here tonight to see what the Scripture says about the name of God and then to see what may be the application for a New Testament Christian. Because Jesus fulfilled the law for me. He always reverenced his father's name. As a matter of fact, there's a scripture in Hebrews um, chapter twelve, where it says uh, something about the Messiah. Excuse me, Hebrews 2.12, it says that when we are in heaven with the Lord, he will sing to his father. Hebrews two twelve says, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren, and in the midst of the congregation I will sing thy praise. So it's interesting that Jesus even will proclaim the name of his Father or the name of the true God unto us. He will sing to his Father in our company. Can you imagine that day when Jesus sings to his Father and we're in the company of all the redeemed? What does it mean for a New Testament Christian to understand the significance of the name of God? By what name are you called tonight? You are called by the name of Jesus Christ, are you not? Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. The psalmist says this, he says, I will extol Thee, my God, O King. I will bless Thy name forever and ever. Every day I will bless You. I will praise Your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, highly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise Thy works to another and shall declare... Thy mighty acts. Jesus, the name above all names. That's the name by which we are called. You are called a Christian. And by virtue of being called a Christian, that means that not only are you purchased by the blood of Christ, but we all know the phrase Christians means to be Christ like. We are to reflect Him. His name is to be written, if you will, on our hearts. It's to be everything uh, that is about us is to be caught up in his name. Would you turn now to the New Testament and look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, who was of course captured by that name of Jesus Christ, has been talking in this chapter about who we are in Jesus. And he's been talking about how we're raised up with Christ and our, na- our life is hidden with Christ and God. And uh, this is who we are now. We're this new creation in Christ. And so he says this, Colossians 3, we'll begin at verse 12. He says, And so, as those who have been chosen of God, Colossians three twelve, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you should, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, does that cover pretty much everything? And whatever you do in word or deed, do how much? All All in the what? Name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. When I preached on this, and it wasn't that long ago here at Calvary Church, we talked about what we do in word or in deed, which pretty much encompasses everything that we do. And we ask this question, and this is kind of a good rule of thumb. Could I say the thing I'm about to say to the individual I'm about to say it to in the name of the Lord Jesus? Could I do the thing that I'm about to do, commit the act I'm about to commit, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that's a pretty good rule, isn't it? Because if I could come to someone and say, you know what, I'm saying this to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to win the Super Bowl. Now I know, no, I'm just kidding about that. Just want to see if you're awake tonight. But you get what I'm saying, don't you? Could I do this? Could I say that? Could I think that in the name of the Lord Jesus? Wow. When I start to think about that, then it kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Because now I realize that I represent Jesus Christ. I am His hands and His feet. I am uh, walking around as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Is that what you were just thinking, Jason? As though God were what? Pleading through me. Now, I'm not going to say to you that I am Jesus, because of course we know that's heresy, but I represent Jesus to people. He lives through me. So sometimes we've heard the old saying, you are a gospel written each day by the things that you do and the words that you say. Men, read what you write, distorted or true. What's the gospel according to you? Sometimes it is true that the closest people will ever get to hearing a sermon or hearing the gospel is by watching us. And in the book of Colossians, if you just turn back one page, you'll notice this is the mystery of the church which Paul has been talking about. And he says this in verse 25, Colossians 1, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, Colossians one twenty-five bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim Jesus, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Jesus Christ. You see, for the Christian, the name of God has become even more significant because now I am known by the name of Jesus Christ. His name has become the dominant theme in my life. On Sunday, we're going to look at a section of scripture where Jesus identifies himself as a shepherd. Um, in the first century, people could very much understand what he meant. And Jesus would often use um, illustrations in life so that people could connect to them. And so Jesus, in that section of Scripture, calls himself the shepherd and he calls us the sheep. Now, we know enough about sheep to know that they're not very smart. But here's one thing that we do know about sheep as well. They become very committed to their shepherd. As a matter of fact, they learn his voice They follow His path and they begin to uh, build a confidence in Him that He's going to take them to green pastures on the right path. He's going to lead them to nourishment. He's going to take them to the still waters. And He's going to even protect them from wolves. And so they become very dependent on their shepherd. And so I have found in my life that that is one of the most important things for my life right now today is I want to know and hear consistently the voice of my shepherd, Jesus Christ. And I want to follow him where he takes me. And I want to uh, be led to the places of nourishment and refreshment. And I even want him to protect me. And you know what? I even want him to discipline me. Because he has a rod. And we know that sometimes he has to whack us a little bit because he is the shepherd. But you know what? Someone might say tonight, you know what? Uh, I hear this stuff about the shepherd and the sheep and Jesus and he's the shepherd, we're the sheep. But how do I really know that if I follow him, he'll, he'll protect me. He'll take me to the place that I should go. And then it hits me. He's not just called the shepherd. He's called the good shepherd. And in that very chapter that we're about to study, the good shepherd was willing to do what? To lay down his life for who? His sheep. That's the name by which we're called. Sometimes we think only in legalistic terms. Well, I, I better be able to do that in the name. And we think legalistically. No, 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 no. Jesus loves you. He's the good shepherd. That's how he identified himself. He says, you're called by my name. I was willing to lay down my life for you. And I want to uh, cause you to follow me to green pastures. I want you to understand what is in my name. James, writing in his book, is speaking to uh, believers, and he says, But above all, my brethren, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Jesus said in the Gospels, Let your yes be yes and your no be no. James repeats the same thing. Why did James say what he said? Because people are known to be people who will make an oath, they will swear something, they may even invoke the name of God, but they don't keep what they say. And Jesus and James, who was Jesus' brother, said, let your yes be yes. Yes. Because whatever you do and whatever you say, it's in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's who you represent. So James repeats what Jesus said and says, yeah, you know what, you're saved by this good shepherd and you're called by his name, but there's also a responsibility tonight. Because you represent who you represent, James and Jesus say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Have you been growing in that area of your life? I know when I first became a Christian man, I had so much baggage. My no was yes and my yes no, and I just was not a very responsible person. I showed up to places when it was convenient for me. Uh, I didn't know a lot about commitment. Commitment was a word that I, I didn't think much about. But you know what? After the Lord's been working in my life, after he's shown me his way, you know, my eyes have been opened to so many different things, and he's teaching me what commitment is. He's teaching me what commitment is to him to my wife, to my family, to the ministry, to so many different things. But it all comes back to this basic idea. I am called by the name which is above every name. And I'm so glad that my name is under His name. Are you glad? I'm so glad that my name is recorded in heaven. That's why I rejoice through the tough times. Because at the name of Jesus... I know every knee will bow and I know every tongue will confess. If you want to just uh, look back in the book of Acts, um, just a couple of significant things as we get ready to wrap up this message tonight. Acts chapter 2. And this is how significant the name of the Lord Jesus is. Acts chapter 2, verse 21 says, And it shall be... That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Saved. The way you get saved is you call upon the name of the Lord. In Acts 9.28, if you want to flip over there, it says this. Acts 9.28. Let's go back to verse 27. Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly, here it is again, in the name of the Lord. In Acts 19.5, and you don't have to turn there for the sake of time, it says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why were... Uh, New Testament Christians especially in the book of Acts baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Why is that so significant? Because Jesus showed up on the scene as God in human flesh. He tabernacled among us. So when people were getting baptized they were getting baptized in the name of Jesus. Now does that mean like some of the cultic movements say that unless you're baptized in the name of Jesus only you can't be saved? No, of course not. But you are baptized typically in the name of the Father and the Son Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that represents the full triune God, if you will. People were sa- are saved in the name of Jesus, baptized in the name of Jesus. In First Corinthians six eleven, it says to those in Corinth who had blown it in their lives, like many of us, and such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. Is it important tonight that we understand what's in the name? Jesus, um, it says of him that there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God in the third commandment of the ten says, do not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Okay? This is important. Don't esteem it as nothing, but make sure that you understand how significant it is. Now, because we have a little bit of time left, I'm going to tackle commandment number four and it's going to be brief. Commandment number four, back in Exodus chapter 20, is keep holy or remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Back in Exodus 20, Commandment number four, found in verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now the Sabbath day, when Jesus showed up on the earth, how many miracles did he do on the Sabbath day? Quite a few. (laughs) Quite a few. Did that on purpose too. Now, the Sabbath day, for the sake of time, I'm going to quickly cut to the chase, but I just want to Uh, just remind you how many times Jesus did miracles on the Sabbath day. What do you think Jesus was trying to say in doing that? He was trying to say that the rabbinic traditions and the tradition of the elders and all these things that were added to people did not make them free but actually put them under bondage. Jesus healed the paralytic man at the uh, pool on the Sabbath day. Uh, The last scripture that we just shared What did we just share on Sunday morning, just last Sunday? The blind man. What day was that? The Sabbath Sabbath day. The religious leaders were so worried about him doing these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus was more worried about helping people. The Sabbath day indicates the rest. But the Sabbath day is really for the people of God. Because the people of God, and you can just put this down for your notes in Hebrews chapter 4, they have entered into the rest... Of God, because the rest of God is found in Jesus Christ. Now, remember, I told you that as we uh, began the study of the Ten Commandments, there's only one person who's ever kept the whole law. Remember who that was? That was Jesus, right? Did Jesus uh, keep the whole law of God? Did he fulfill the whole, whole law perfectly? Yes. And what does that allow a Christian now to do? We enter into what because Jesus has fulfilled the law? Freedom. And what else? Starts with the R. Rest. rest. That's right. We rest from the works of the law because someone else has already done those for us, and his name is Jesus. So, as a Christian, and, and I would encourage you to write to, excuse me, to read Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews four talks about that we have entered into the rest of God because we are in Jesus Christ. What that means is that you do not have to work for your salvation. Now think about this picture for a second. What was happening to the normal Jewish person who heard all of these religious restrictions that were applied to them for the Sabbath day? You can't light a fire. You can't walk a certain amount over this distance. You can't put in false teeth because if they fall out and you pick them up, you might be working. Right? What happened to the people on the Sabbath day? Hmm? You couldn't do anything. <laughs> Carly said you can't cook. I mean, that's just a big one right there, isn't it? You had to make all of your food preparations the day before. I mean, this church automatically thinks of food. Man, ah, oh, no, right? No potlucks. <laughs> no potlucks. Is that the intention that God has for us who are in Jesus Christ? You're walking around as a first century Jewish person. You've heard about all these laws. You can't do this. You can't do that on the Sabbath day. Can't even wear your false feet on the Sabbath day. You know. And now, are you free and resting? Or are you under a burden? You're stressed out because you're trying to keep some legalistic ritual that was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Some of us, I think, would have to confess tonight that we still do this. We think, well, if I keep all these rules and regulations and somehow I'll enter into the rest, if I work hard enough, I can rest. Isn't that what the American mentality is today? If I just work hard enough, one day, I'll get to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I told you guys about that email that a friend sent to me. Uh, It was a picture. It had a big old rainbow. And the rainbow was sitting so much in a certain position in the sky that it came over uh, Porta Potty, and it said, "They finally found the pot at the end of the rainbow." But uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> you know, we always think, "If I just strive enough, God will love me." If I just work, wait a minute. What the work's already been done. Now we enter into the rest of Jesus Christ. The fourth commandment is the only one of the ten not repeated as a command in the New Testament. The Sabbath day is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. You can, would you take a breath, rest. The work is done. You don't have to work for your salvation. The work is done. Now, One key scripture is found in Colossians chapter 2. Do you know that if you listen, Colossians chapter 2, if you listen to a uh, call-in, question-and-answer radio program, probably the top question that is asked is why don't Christians keep the Sabbath day? After all, Christians meet typically on Sunday. And so those who are caught up in the law say, well, why don't you Christians meet on Saturdays? What are you doing? Well, notice what Paul says in Colossians 2:16, he says, "Therefore, Colossians 2:16, "Let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a what does it say there? Sabbath day." Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The new moon, the Sabbath day, the festival, merely a shadow, Colossians 2.16, the substance belongs now to Jesus Christ. So no one is to be your judge any longer in this. If you want to write down a parallel passage, write down Romans 14, read the whole chapter. The whole chapter talks about resting and not uh, getting caught up in what's called debatable matters. Uh, That is things that are not essential. Don't get legalistic on things that are not essential because God doesn't really care much about that kind of stuff. He cares more about our hearts if you can say to somebody i showed up at that building at 268 North Lincoln Avenue from 10 to noon on Sunday morning god would probably say good but where was your heart on Monday morning at noon and where was your heart Tuesday at 5 p.m. were you still worshiping see worship isn't just about a song it's about a lifestyle, it's about a condition of the heart. Paul says in Galatians four, nine through eleven, but now that you have come to know God or rather be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Galatians four ten. You observe days and months and seasons and years I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. Paul says, look, I told you about the freedom of the gospel. I told you that no one is to put you in bondage anymore. You are free in me. You are not bound. If you can't go to church on a Sunday morning, you're not less of a Christian than if you go on a Friday night and fellowship somewhere in a home Bible study. You're free. Don't be enslaved again to the elemental things. Jesus has fulfilled those things. It's a done deal in Christ. So the law, again, is our schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Galatians 5.1 Therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, another thing that they were pushing on first century Christians, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. Here's what people fail to remember. They call a program, they say, why do Christians not uh, meet on Saturdays? If you don't, you're under the judgment of God. But what they tend to forget is that there's 613 other commandments and sub-commandments in the Old Testament. Now, were those necessarily from God? Yes, they were. All of those. Yes. All those weird things. They were from God. No. Wait, excuse me. When uh, they kept the Sabbath, they went. <laughs> it's okay. Go ahead. They kept the Sabbath. Yes. Uh, and when they went to the temple, they were led by priests, right? Or yeah, they by were. Pharisees yes. Who were doing their job just as you were doing your job here? <laughs> yes. So they were working. Well, are you talking about the the people who were leading the services? Uh-huh. Okay, well, on the Sabbath day when they gathered, they were reading the Torah, they were they were holding a service, but not working in the sense, and here's here's where maybe the confusion comes. The Sabbath day was intended for Israel to rest in the sense that they were not to use Saturday or the Sabbath day to be like any other secular day. So the idea of the Sabbath day, and I know you guys might have some questions about this and it's okay, we can interact a little bit. The idea was that you were not to treat the Sabbath day like it was Thursday, like your normal business day. That was a day that you were supposed to uh, kind of tone things down. You were supposed to focus your attention on rest and upon God and so forth. But, it, but what happened was with the rabbinic tradition, the tradition of the rabbis, they started adding everything to it. So rather than it being a day of rest where people you know, took one day in seven to rest, to recuperate, to focus on God... What happened is it, um, they were so concerned that it had become another business day that the people ended up with their hands tied. And so they were not free anymore. And that's the idea. So I think that's why Jesus specifically does the miracles that he does on the Sabbath day. is to show people that the intention was not what it had come to in his day. The intention was that people would kind of uh, tone it down a little bit and have at least one day in seven where they would... Uh, spend time with their families where they would not just be busy about work. Let me ask you guys a question. Let's make a practical application. Now, I know you're here on a Wednesday night. How many of you had a busy day today? You're, you're working pretty hard, running to and fro. How many of you would say that your life overall is categorized by busyness and stress? Let me ask you, what, <laughs> what, does, that, what does that mode of life do for your spiritual walk? It drains it, doesn't it? It doesn't bode well for a person who's trying to get in touch with God, if we could put it that way, or fellowship with God, to be racing around. And so God knew that. So what did God do? He provided an atmosphere or an opportunity for people to slow down, get the rest that they needed physiologically, but also to be able to focus on God. See, this is, this is the deception of our culture. And I hope you guys, I, I think this question came out tonight for a reason. Our culture elevates busyness. As a matter of fact, we cut church services short so that people can get on with their day. Amen? Amen. Sometimes we can even say amen to bad things that people do because we're just saying we agree. How many of you would say tonight that if you get the concept of the slowdown a little bit, That you don't have to have one thing stacked upon another upon another to feel like you are accomplishing something. That you can actually find a place where you're alone with God. A place where you might just turn off all of the uh, you know uh, mediums that you have. Electronic mediums of radio and television and internet and cell phones that buzz, buzz at your side and everything. And just get alone with God. I think that's what God was trying to do with Israel. I think He was saying, look, Work is good. It's good to be productive. It's good to get things done. You ought not to be lazy. Paul says, you don't work, you don't eat. But there is a time to rest. Jesus even went and rested when the demands on His life were incredible. He said, let's get away, man. (laughs) He told the disciples, you guys need to go rest. We need it. But now, as Christians, what's happened to us? in the New Covenant, we have entered into a permanent rest. We are at peace with God. So even if the freeway on the 91 is... You say, man, I'm at rest. I'm at peace with God. Why? Because my peace is not determined by my circumstances. My peace is from within. Does that make sense to everybody? It's fulfilled. Jesus is not coming to us and saying today, if you don't meet on Saturday or keep these 25 rules and regulations, well, then you just are out of rest, man. No, that's not what he says. He says, you are in a restful condition. Spiritually, you're at peace with me right now. Now, the practical part's the hard part. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is what? Stayed Stayed on you because he trusts you. Now God says, look, now the idea is uh, positionally, you're at peace. You're at rest with God. You don't have to strive. You don't have to... Earn. You can't. But now the challenge is to practically keep your eyes fixed above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so what, what does the devil do in our culture? Busyness, busyness, busyness. Go, 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 go. Don't have time for church. Don't have time for fellowship. Don't have time for family. Got to work. Got to do Got to make the money. Got to keep up the payments. Got to keep up the house. God says, hello! Hello! Remember me? Holy is thy name, creator of heaven and earth who gave you life. And the only reason that your heart beats right now is because of me. Hello, I'm your rest. I'm your rest. Now, because we need the practical, we need to set up our lives so that we have an opportunity to fellowship with God. The early church fathers uh, Ignatius to Augustine taught that the Old Testament Sabbath has been abolished. The first day of the week Sunday was the day when Christians would meet for worship to uh, commemorate and recognize what event? What event? The resurrection of Jesus. Which, by the way, He rose for what? According to the book of Romans, our justification. So, When you met on Sunday morning as a Christian and they would often meet at dawn, what were they celebrating? Christ is risen. Sin is defeated. Death, my greatest enemy, is defeated. And guess what? I can rest. That's why they stopped worshiping on Saturday and moved it to Sunday. Because it commemorated the fulfillment of God's promises in the Messiah and the fact that we have rest in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to everybody? All right. That's what it's all about. So you're in Christ tonight, I pray. Are you resting? <laughs> you say, ah. Oh. <laughs> I'm just wondering how restful you feel on the 29th. On the night <laughs> You know, um, look. As far as li- this life goes, and let me share a nugget and... And I'll share it, and it's coming right back to me because this is something I need to learn as well. You know what I've realized in this life? Not much is going to change. Even if I move to Idaho, next to a stream, a lot of things are going to remain the same because this is the human condition. But you know what I have found? The most successful people, and I use successful in the sense of spiritually successful, at peace, people who... You know what I mean. People who, people who are in the right place in their life, you know what they've realized? It's not about their circumstances. It's not necessarily about their surroundings or even whether or not every person they work with is a, a beautiful person to get along with. What they've realized is that spiritual rest and, and spiritual life comes from in here. And it depends on how much time I spend with the one who gives rest. See, there's a rest with God positionally but there's also, also a rest from God and to the degree and we talked about it a couple weeks ago that I can keep my hands up I'm at rest I'm at peace doesn't necessarily my, my circumstances can affect that but they're not going to cause my house to crash as Jesus said see that's that's the difference maker tonight so with that would you all bow your hearts Lord God Your name, first of all, as we come before you is holy and we reverence you, Lord. Holy is your name. Jesus, when the disciples asked you how to pray, you said, pray in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, when you came to this earth, you purposely did miracles on the Sabbath day. The religious leaders were confounded, but you told them exactly what it was about, that anyone who comes to me will never hunger. Anyone who believes in me will never thirst. The one who believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow of living water. Lord, you've come to fulfill the law that testified against us. We've all taken your name in vain, Lord. We've all uh, oftentimes not rested. We've all done so many things to put other gods before the God of the Bible. And Jesus, since you are the good shepherd, you willingly lay down your life for your sheep. You lived the life that I could not live. You paid the debt I could not pay. You took my suffering and my shame at the cross. You rose again to defeat my greatest enemy, which is death and sin that causes death. And you rose again from the grave, Lord. And you told your disciples, because I live, you will live also. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Lord, that's the rest that we possess in Jesus. We have entered into it and we want to appropriate it, Lord. We want to get as much as we can. Lord, in this culture that is saturated with busyness and stress, stress is something that seems like everybody is just under the gun in this culture and sometimes the last thing that we are representing is the God in whom we say rest is found. Tonight, Lord... We want to rest by those still waters. Lord, we want to lay down in those green pastures next to you. Would you restore our souls? Would you show us what it means to be a person who manifests Jesus, the hope of glory? Would you teach us what it means to be a person of prayer? Would you teach us what it means to be a true worshiper of God? Would you help us, Lord, because this flesh wars against us, God. The spirit is indeed willing, the flesh is indeed weak. May you help these lovely people here tonight, Lord, who come because they are hungry to know you. They are hungry to experience the fullness of the rest that you offer. Would you bless them? Would you come and bless them tonight? Would you just put them at peace for the things that they feel anxious about? Would you show them that you've written their names down in your book? Would you help them, Father, to give their problems, their anxieties over to you? Would you help us all, Lord? We just want to say that we love you tonight. We reverence your holy name. We thank you that we're in Christ. And we also want to just pray tonight, Father, and thank you for the Sabbath rest we experience for the people of God. Thank you that you're our great high priest, Lord, and that you suffered for us, that you sympathize with us, and that you're waiting for us. Now, one day, we will be with you. And so you say, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you and where I go. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We worship you tonight. Amen.